So last week I began uh, a series that I believe will take 10 weeks, which is uh, on the Eightfold Noble Path or the Noble Eightfold Path. And last week I began by giving an overview of the path. And um, if you weren't here, I'll just remind you all of the overview, which is that there are three baskets to the Eightfold Path. And there's what's called the uh, basket of virtue, which is how we conduct ourselves, what our actions are, meaning what our engagement with life is. And so there's right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Right speech, right action, right livelihood. And then there's another <coughs> basket, the samadhi basket, or the basket of unifying the heart and mind which is right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And then the uh, wisdom basket um, is right view and right intention. And this is the Eightfold Path, the Noble Eightfold Path as outlined by the Buddha, which he um, started teaching after his awakening and continued for the next 40, some years until he died and especially the last year he was alive when he knew he was going to die, he, meaning he had an intuition that it was his last year. He went all over um, teaching and reteaching people who'd been studying with him and talked about the Eightfold Path and the importance of the path and the importance of, um, of virtue and unity and wisdom. <clears throat> and um, it's a training. The Eightfold Path allows us to, dis and uh, just also to remind you, the Eightfold Path is the fourth uh, of the Four Noble Truths. The Noble Eightfold Path is the fourth truth. Right? The, the four truths is that there, there is suffering and there are causes to suffering and that there's an end of suffering and there's a path that leads to the end of suffering. And as I said last week, the four truths are interactive, right? There, there is um, um, suffering and it's to be understood. There are causes to be up to suffering and they're to be released. There is uh, the cessation of suffering and that's to be realized. And there's a path to the cessate, to the end of suffering, and that's to be cultivated, right? So the path is to be cultivated. It's not just a nice idea or a nice list. It's to be engaged in. There is an activity um, it's why uh, I can use the phrase when I'm giving the, doing the day long, doing the day long at, at uh, Spirit Rock. You know, I could have called it the Four Noble Truths, but, um, and really I get this from Stephen Batchelor. You call it the Four Ennobling Truths because it's interactive and your actions have an impact on the world and yourself both. It's interactive. It's ennobling. It wakes us up. It ennobles us. 
it allows us to start to become mature human beings who see the world and respond to the world in a way that's real. <clears throat> and so, and the training in uh, the wisdom factors of the path um, is to help awaken the faculty of penetrating understanding. So, so the wisdom factors, the two wisdom factors, right view and right intention. Right view and right intention. And of course, I said this last week and I'll say it many times, very important to understand what right means in Buddhism. It's not just right or wrong, like good or bad. It means right, and this is in the dictionary, is that which brings us into alignment with the truth, right? That which brings us into alignment with what's real, with what's true. And of course, Dharma itself, if you get a translation of it, it means truth, right? From the Pali. <clears throat> um, and so we want to train to awaken um, the capacity to have a penetrating understanding. We want to right view and the training in wisdom is to have a penetrating understanding that sees things as they are. That sees things as they are. So I'm saying it like, right, that we want to, the wisdom factors awaken the faculty of penetrating, penetrative understanding that allows us to see things as they really are. And that's such a nice understanding, especially as of the first of the noble truths, because right view is also translated as right understanding. It's samaditi. Samaditi in the Pali, and the and the right view. Some people translate it as right view. Some people as right understanding. And I had a a nice argument with a friend of mine about which one, because they translate it always as right view, and I always like right understanding. And what was um, uh, illuminating about the argument was to see. Oh, we're both pointing at the same faculty and there's different ways to talk about what happens as we wake up. We both see clearly and the seeing clearly is not just a, a surface seeing, it's an understanding of what we're seeing at a whole nother level. And uh, in, in traditionally in Buddhism, uh, right view, here this is from uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu, um, who's commonly known as Tanjav, and he translates this from the Buddha, what is right view? Knowledge with regard to stress, knowledge with regard to the origination of stress, and he translates dukkha as stress. So, knowledge with regard to stress, knowledge with regard to the origination of stress, knowledge with regard to the cessation of stress, 
and knowledge with regard to the way of practice leading to the cessation of stress, right? So you hear the four truths in there, right? So he's, one is aware of stress or dukkha, and, uh, and if you don't know dukkha, it's commonly translated as, as suffering, and Tanjeff likes the translation stress. And so, um, right, so knowledge with regard to dukkha, knowledge with regard to the, how dukkha arises, knowledge to, in regard to the end of dukkha, and knowledge in regard to the way of practice leading to the end of dukkha, to the end of suffering or the end of stress. This is called right view. And it's really the beginning of the path and the guide for all the other factors come from our view and our understanding, how we see things, how we perceive reality and how we're understanding it. And that as that, as we see things more clearly, the other factors come very naturally in response to um, right view or right understanding. Um, and different teachers will talk about it differently, so you'll hear me give different um, slants on how view is understood because all of them work well for me, so I'm giving you what I like or what speaks to me. And so Saira Utejaniya, who I like very much these days, he said, right view is the idea that mental and bodily processes are nature. And when he uses the word nature, he just means they're natural. They're just happening. And, and we're not in control of them, right? So right view is the idea that mental and bodily pro processes are nature. They have their own nature, and they're showing um, that nature to us. They're showing that nature to us. That's something to learn from. If we can tap into this truth, then we won't struggle so much. Right? This is his understanding and how he teaches, and just just for context, like somebody who's taught here a number of times, who's a good friend who I like to teach with when he's in um, this side of the country is uh, Alexis Santos. And Alexis has taught here, and he studied with Utejaniya, meaning he lived with Utejaniya for three years as a disciple in Burma. And uh, he really, it's beautiful to watch him teach because he knows his perspective so well because he lived it with um, Utejaniya. And so part of what we're doing when we look at the first truth and or the first uh, component of the Eightfold Path is we're looking at views and understanding and especially views. What, is, what do views do? What does a view do? What, what does it do to us? And of course, what does it do to the world we're trying to understand, right? And so views mean that it view brings our perspective on reality and on what we value. And it brings um, our perspectives on different issues that we may be involved in in our life 
and about what we care about. Um, and so it starts to um, fuel our attitude and our actions and our orientation to life and to how we live life. And so we want to be conscious of our views because they have a big impact on us. And if we're unconscious of our views, they're having an unconscious impact on us. And that is generally the case for all of us. We have some views we're conscious of and some we're unconscious of. And those views, whether we're conscious or not, right, are governing our attitudes or our actions or our orientation uh, to reality, to life. <clears throat> and they structure our values or what we find important or, or how we interpret experience and how we interpret other people and their experience. And so we often don't get a clear or clean or crisp understanding because we're seeing through a veil of our views rather than just seeing reality or seeing what's true. So our views will condition our understanding and then that understanding will condition our response to ourselves and to other people and to the world. And so it's very important to begin to start to be aware of our view or the stance we're taking or the perspective we're taking, we're seeing through if we're not just free of view. <clears throat> This is from Stephen Batchelor. He's talking about how views begin to uh, condition um, action. And um, he said views are behind our goals and our choices. And that um, when we try to turn uh, uh, our views, our choices, and our goals into uh, from ideals into actual life, into actuality, that the actions themselves uh, determine uh, consequences of what happens next. And the actions along with their consequences hinge on the views from which they spring. The actions and the consequences of how we act. And of course, that comes later in the Eightfold Path of speech, action, livelihood, etc. That he says, um, since the view, um, right, actions along with their consequences hinge on the views from which they spring. Since views imply an ontological commitment, an ontological commitment, a decision on the question of what is real and what is not comes from that. An ontological, which I like the word, but I had to, I had to look it up. And it's a branch of metaphysics dealing with the nature of being, the nature of who and what we are in essence. 
right? And so we're looking at a very, when we don't see our view, we're often um, uh, don't see the, the perspective of what we're taking ourselves to be is in the view we're taking. Right. That I'm a this, or I'm a that, or I'm an up, or I'm a down, or I'm right, or I'm wrong. There's always some kind of identity associated with the view. And that's not a bad thing, but it's not the end of the story. It's one level of view and what's possible for us as human beings. And we want to see it because we want to see if that level of view and understanding is true and is worth following or not. Because with, with our awareness, we start to have choice about whether we um, want to go forward or act upon our views. And, and in traditional Buddhism, right, in classical Buddhism, right views talked about two ways. There's mundane, what's called mundane, and then super mundane. Mundane is basically conventional. Um, super mundane is beyond conventional. So mundane right view involves a certain, a correct grasp of the law of karma. It's really seeing that karma is part of our experience as human beings, that actions have consequences or actions produce other experiences, right? And so karma, which has a literal name, is right view of the ownership of action. Right view of the ownership of action. And this is from the Buddha who said, beings are the owners of their actions, the heirs of their actions. They spring from their actions. They are bound to their actions and are supported by their actions. Whatever deeds one does, good or bad, of those one will be an heir. H-E-I-R-S, heir, meaning we inherit. The, the actions of our karma. And I would imagine, and I'm sure I'm right, but I'm often sure I'm right and I'm not right, but so that's, um, it, that you all have some understanding of karma in that way. That you've seen your actions when they've been clear, when they've been uh, based on what's true, when they come from a, a clear, open, awake heart and mind that they have good, good things follow. But when they don't come from that, when, when they're um, unawakened actions, then not good things happen. And of course, I could tell you many different times that I've had unconscious actions, based, or actions based on unconscious views and understanding that were then later like, oh shit, why did I do that? You know, that was a mistake, and it, it's true. And it's, and it's not a mistake, meaning it's the worst thing ever, because I haven't so far done the worst thing ever, but who knows? Um, it's possible, it could happen, but, but um, what it means is, oh, with karma, we can learn from our actions, and then we start to have more choice 
rather than just repeating our actions or repeating our unconsciousness. And so view and, and, and understanding brings more awakening, more consciousness to the foreground. And then supra-mundane right view, which is sometimes called superior right view, is right view that leads to freedom, that leads to liberation. And that's closely connected with understanding the four truths, right? That there's suffering, that there are causes suffering, and that there's a way to um, let go of the causes of suffering. And so there's a path that leads to freedom. And usually when one first comes to the Buddhism and the Eightfold Path, one sees that um, uh, there's a conceptual understanding like of the Four Noble Truths, right? Suffering, cause of suffering, cessation of suffering, path that leads to the end of suffering. And that all sounds what good or bad, you know, you might have different responses at first. Um, but, but it's a conceptual understanding at first. And then as one practices, that the Four Noble Truths start to deepen and reaches a more mature understanding of a direct in, intuition of the same truths that are penetrated with clarity. And so the Four Truths are at the beginning of the path and they're also at the end of the path meaning as we mature the understanding and view up makes for the four truths to become deeper understandings that they're not just understood as oh this is the way but they're understood intuitively it's a direct intuition of the same truths and so it can be said that the four truths uh, uh, form both the beginning and end of the path to suffering. And the understanding that is in the first of the Eightfold Path, right view, right understanding, is in the Buddha's teaching from the beginning. And there's often a lot of words talked about what the Buddha was teaching. He was pointing at nibbana or nirvana or awakening or enlightenment or different words. And uh, one of the quotes that I like very much from the Buddha is he said it this way. He said the committed life, meaning give, when one gives oneself to the Dharma, the committed life is lived for the sake of seeing into things and understanding them. It's the committed life is lived for the sake of seeing into things and understanding them. And that's, for me, one of my favorite teachings because it's an ongoing process and practice that continues to reveal more and more and more <coughs> of the Dharma, of the truth, or as I said earlier, the truth of the way things are.
And so the intellectual understanding of the four truths that comes at the beginning is great, really good, but it's not the end of the story. We want to make it a deeper understanding of how we see reality, how we understand reality. And of course it happens for all of us as we mature and then there are also <coughs> blocks or obscurations or veils that come too as part of life and it's why we want to keep practicing so we can keep uh, penetrating the veils or letting them go so we can let our awakening deepen which is also one of the things I love about Sayadaw Utejaniya is he keeps saying that in many different ways like there's no end, right? There's more to wake up to. Um, and so understanding becomes very important. This is from one of my teachers, Hamid Ali. He said the common view of understanding is that it is basically an intellectual comprehension of some, uh, of some content of experience, perception, or thought. It is usually an insight or idea that can occur after an experience has ensued. But understanding um, the, ins the insightful awareness by understanding, we mean the insightful awareness of our experience. There is immediate contact with the particulars of the experience, both inner and outer, plus the comprehension of the content of where everything is happening. So it's both what's happening here and there, and the content that has conditioned what's happening here and what's happening here and there too because we need to keep seeing the bigger picture in order to understand. He continues, he said, it is not merely an intellectual comprehension, although such comprehension forms part of it. Since insight is part of it and inseparable, and inseparable from it, the immediate experience it does not have the, since the insight is part of and inseparable uh, from, and inseparable from, let me say it again, sorry. Since the insight is part of and inseparable from the immediate experience, it does not have the abstract quality characteristic of intellectual comprehension. This is why practice is so important. That's why we learn how to be with things as they are, whether it's a breath or a body or, or a sound or a smell or a taste or a touch or a feeling or a mood or a thought. So we can start to be with it more and more intimately rather than just adding our ideas about it on. We can start to understand things as they are. And Hamid goes on to say, he says, realization and liberation require many things. Dedication and commitment, love, devotion, awareness, sensitivity. But more than anything else, they require understanding. 
more than anything else they require understanding. Understanding is the central faculty needed for liberation, especially when we go deep in our experience. That is because when we reach true nature, the real depth, what is left is our understanding. Everything else in some sense drops away by, by itself. <clears throat> All that is left is, is, the, is the capacity for discriminating what is manifesting, what is true, what is false. It has been acknowledged and understood by all spiritual traditions that what finally liberates the heart and mind is to see the false as false and the true as true. And so the Eightfold Path, which begins with right view, right understanding, is pointing us as how we relate to each moment, to our experience. Are we seeing what's true? Are we understanding it? And what happens as we look closely? This is from a woman named Ann Baxter. She said, see into life. Don't just look at it. See into life. Don't just look at it. Don't be enchanted by the surface. And you can enjoy the surface. Surface may be very beautiful or very difficult, but keep looking into it to see what's true. And the last thing I'll add is from the Buddha, from the Nguttenar Nikaya. He says, bhikkhus, and of course you're all bhikkhus. I hope you all know that. It's part of the fourfold sangha, uh, the shorthand for the four, fourfold sangha is bhikkhus. And so the fourfold sangha are uh, nuns, monks, uh, householder women, householder men. And he said, bhikkhus, just as the dawn is the forerunner and first indication of the rising of the sun. It's a great line. He's very poetic at times, the Buddha. Just as the dawn is the forerunner and first indication of the rising of the sun, so is right view, the forerunner and first indication of wholesome states of heart and mind. So that's a little bit what I have to say about the first component of the Eightfold Path, right view or right understanding. And then I always like to talk with you and discuss what do you think, what you like, what you agree with, not agree with, any questions, any comments, anything that was fantastic, anything that was horrible. How do you understand right view, right understanding?
Please. Yeah. I, I'm Barbara. Thank you, Barbara. I'd like to have you talk a little bit more about penetrating understanding. Okay. Stay, stay here with me. We might talk about it together a little. Okay. Penetrating understanding. So what happens for you when you understand something? Well, sometimes it's facile. Uh-huh. And um, that's easy. Right. Fa facile? What does facile mean? I'm, I'm just not easy. sure. Um, it, it's easy to come to. It's easy. easy to live. Right. It's easy to come to, easy to live. Okay. Um, but I'm assuming that's not the kind of penetrating understanding that you're necessarily referring to. Um, I don't know. Because it may be, but I'm not sure, like, because it could be very simple, easy, like that. And it could be, but, it, but we know it not just in our mind, we know it in our body, we know it in our heart, we know it both in terms of the content, but we know it at another level of reality, more ontologically, as so Stephen... Pardon? So it is, true. is it true? It's it's true on both the conventional level, but it's true on the dharmic level too. Is it ever untrue on the conventional level and true on the dharmic level? That's an interesting question. Because that's what I find in life. Uh -huh. give, give me an example, if you could. Um, today's politics. Right. Um, I mean, the way that we as a nation treat other people. Uh huh. Um, Total, it, totally it's, true. It's facile. Right, but it's well. And it's it's um, for me on an interior level. Uh -huh. It is untrue or wrong. It is not true to. Uh, I see who, what you Who we as human beings are. Right, but, but okay. So, you, but you're talking in two different ways about what's happening. It's true, what is happening is happening, right? Whatever it is. And then we have our response to what is happening. We're liking it or not liking it. We're wanting it or not wanting it. And that's a whole different level of truth because we're, we're having a reaction to it. And that it's fine to have one's reaction or one's response, but but on a certain level, it's true. You're seeing how people are. And it's been like this forever. And I don't mean it has to stay like this, but I'm saying so far as human beings, we're not so mature as a species. Human beings have had prejudice and reactivity and hatred and, and uh, ill will from the beginning, as far as I can tell. Maybe I'm wrong, I'm open to being wrong, but, and, and so there have been wars and conquest and, you know, forever. And so that's something that's true. Now, is it the deepest truth of who and what we are? Might not be, but it's definitely the surface truth of who and what we are. Does that make sense? 
Yes, but I wouldn't call that penetrating. Well, well, penetrating, it means one is seeing what's true on every level. Okay. Okay, it doesn't mean, oh, it's all, all just makes everything better, right? Now, one knows, so here's an example of what I think is, I'll give my example of, like, because I see similar things that you're pointing at about politics, and I have my reactions to the politics and my whatever I can think negatively about people I've thought, right, when I don't like what they're doing politically. But on a deeper level, when I see more clearly and I understand even more, I have compassion even for the perpetrators because they're unconscious and they're, uh, and they, they, they're suffering, actually, even though they're causing other suffering, which I have my response to. So there's a deeper level of perceiving that's here that I think is what you're pointing at, which is penetrating understanding. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think for me the bottom line right now is that I don't have any control over anybody else. I'm the only person over whom I have control. Right, and that's true. And uh, it's that's a that's a whole. It's not a. I don't. I don't feel like it's a cop out. Right. It can be a cop out. Right, right, right. Can be, yeah. And and uh, if I'm practicing, it is not a cop out. Right. Sure. Sure. I'm not. I'm not copping out on you. Yeah. But but it's also very important to be careful about that because not acting in response can be a cop out. That's all. Yeah. Thank you for the conversation. Please. Hi, my name is Megan, and um, I enjoyed your talk. And particularly, I was thinking about the comment about <coughs> how all religions are really pointing towards the same thing, which is to discern the truth versus what's false. And, um, what came up for me as you said that was my own experience. The, um, the way to understand and, 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 and gain that discernment is not a heady exper uh, experience. Mm -hmm. It's not something I intellectualize or think, but it's actually something that I feel. And, and sometimes when I feel like I'm trying to discern what's right and what's wrong, and what's true and what's right, mm -hmm. um, using the, the, the definition that you, you referred to earlier, that, that actually distracts me. And that what I really need to do is get into the present moment and my, um, my right. body. So I don't know if you have any um, elaboration on or any recommendations on how to um, you know, move away, discernment in general and, and, um, and moving away from more of a heady um, <laughs> experience more towards something that, um, that's, that can help us um, realize what's true, uh -huh. but, um, right, but not so, in a judgment. So you're, you're asking yeah. a great question and a, a, a question that 
really uh, might be a different answer for each person here because different people have different skills and different proclivities. And you're describing yours quite beautifully, right? Like for you, it really helpful to get out of your head into your body and then, and then the knowing comes to you. That's how I'm hearing it. And, and I, beautiful, it sounds great. And for other, someone else, it might be different. They might need to get out of their body and into their head, right? And so for me, the way I hear your question is think about what's talked about as three centers of awakening um, that have to do with the body, heart, and mind. And they're all important in Buddhism and different Buddhist traditions give different import to different ones. And, um, you know, um, you know, of course, the heart of compassion they, is very common and the mind of wisdom, right? The third eye opening, those are all really traditional. And the one that's under unknown, in my opinion, is the belly of awakening and really the, the hara, um, which is um, from uh, uh, mostly in Zen and in the martial arts, it's also well known. And so that's a very important center. And so each of us can think about which, where, where are our capacities, right? For some of us, it's in the mind. For some of us, in the heart. For some of us, it's just in being here. We're just here. And the here-ness is what really supports us. And, and the reason why I'm saying all three is because it's really skillful to balance all three, or at least have a taste of each the other ones, depending on what our proclivity might be to the, to the belly or the heart or the mind, right? And they're all important and really valuable. And the more balanced they are, at least I've seen for myself, the, the balancing over the years, very, very helpful because it's not really one or the other. It's to be a full human being and then to respond to other human beings who are also full human beings, whether we're fully in the heart or the mind or the belly. So, really yeah. Helpful. Just one more question. Sure, that. sure. When you talk about balance, is that all one experience at the same time or are you uh, tapping uh, on that's, different? Uh, okay, so what does balance yeah. mean? At times it's different. But really, when it's really balanced, no, it's just one thing. It's all right here, right? And so then it's like, you know, uh, you know, I'm here, vump, which is how I talk about the belly experience. My heart is here. There's a sensitivity or a tenderness or openness and a heartfulness. And there's also a real keen discernment at the same time so the discernment is not separate from my feelings and the feelings are not separate from my aliveness here right and so it's one thing and that and i'm not saying i'm always there in the one thing but you know once in a while i get there and it's it's good and i really like that and so here i'll, I'll be more personal so my proclivity uh, well, I'm, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not totally clear about this, so I'll say that. But you know, I, I've had a really good mind at times, right? Like my mind was well developed, and then I lost my mind, right, in my uh, brain injury, 
And so that was quite something to lose of the faculty that in some ways maybe was the most developed in a certain way. And, and although I always had a good, nice heartfulness about things, but still the mind was very strong. And then the mind was gone. And that was really uh, uh, illuminating to have the mind gone and to have my brain not working, right? And because then, and also my body wasn't working so well either after that accident. I mean, I could barely walk up and down steps. I couldn't walk without holding on. And so, you know, but still there was something here that was good even, you know. So let's not be limited just to belly, heart, and mind. There's something good here that's innate and that the Buddha pointed at, and I trust that very much. Okay, thank you. Please, Corey. And just pick, pick it up so you can stand up. You don't have to bend over. Yeah, just push it up. Great. Thank you for the talk. Um, I've actually been studying uh, uh, the different beliefs, you know, and like there's a lot of the number eight I've noticed is kind of uh, repeating itself. And I'm really uh, grateful to, to be exposed to this eightfold path. And uh, what kind of comes to me is it's kind of uh, a building off of what what we were just talking about with the balancing of the body and mind, and 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 that this all this is just gold with the mind, you know, and getting centered in the mind. That's eightfold path, um, but in balancing the body and the mind, is there does Buddhism teach like a specific um, method or practice in balancing? Uh, kind of like a kind of like martial arts and Zen, or like asanas and yoga, or something. Is there some sort of parallel in Buddhism? Yeah, the parallel. Uh, not, I don't know about parallel, but what Buddhism does teach is mindfulness. So the first foundation of mindfulness is body, right? That's the basis for all the other foundations of mindfulness is body, and sort of be aware of one's body. And, and, uh, and I like how many different ways the Buddha points at how to be aware of the body and the breath and the, the different um, uh, components of the body, things like that. And also to be aware in every movement of the body, right, when it moves. And the aware is not just aware from a distance, but aware from in the experience itself. I know it by experiencing this, not by thinking about it. It's not a, it can have the brain component, it can have that component. Like first I might think, oh, I'm moving my arm, right? But, but if I stop thinking, my arm's still moving and I feel it. And so it's a sensation of, of knowing through the direct experience. So that takes one out of the conceptual into the experiential. And that's where the juice is in Buddhism. 
and but there's still the con concept is there, but it's balanced now because it's because really the what the concept is doing is just pointing at something that's actually happening. That makes sense. Yeah, it's really yeah. aware of how the the body moves and connecting the mind and stuff, and then and then with bringing that into meditation, like uh -huh. the posture and yeah. like how we're sitting and uh -huh. all that. Like I definitely definitely get that mindfulness is huge in that kind of uh, being aware of how we're sitting and what it feels like and stuff. Right. Um, but like after after a period of time you do kind of start getting a little a bit uncomfortable and stuff and uh, really uh, yeah, I think for me that's my yeah, experience you're the only person it happens right sure no you're saying something totally true yeah and I, I know for me like uh, asanas and yoga like really helps me to kind of like calm down and like be able to have my body rest and uh -huh. be meditative. Uh -huh. so is there anything like that in Buddhism? Not, not like, there's no, they're not, one is not taught to do yogas in order to meditate better, but how to sit with the direct experience even of being uncomfortable in one's body instead of being identified with one's body. And that's a very fine part of practice. And so, you know, I've said this before, you know, I did, I was a little macho when I was younger about practice. And so I learned how to sit with pain really well. And, you know, for an hour or two hours, a few hours of pain in the knee or whatever it was, and go beyond the pain by sitting with the pain. Right, and so you can play with that, and of course, don't hurt yourself or anything. But see, because what I would—I remember the first time this really ever happened on my first retreat. I was sitting with pain. They kept saying, "Just sit and don't move," and I couldn't do it. It was driving me crazy. It's like, are you kidding? How are these people sitting and not moving? And then, so I vowed to sit for one sit without moving. And really what I became aware of was not just the pain, but my reaction to the pain, my mind. What I was telling myself, I'm gonna, you know, break my knee or whatever I was telling myself. You know, or I, hate, I hated this, I hated it, I wanted it out. You know, but instead of just <coughs> believing what my mind was saying, I was aware of what my mind was saying. And so I wasn't bound to it. And so a different kind of freedom arises. Okay, great. Thank you. I think that's a good place to stop. We're, go ahead, last question. But it's going to be a great question now. <laughs> yeah. pull, pull it down a little more. There you go. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's kind of a question as well. Um, right understanding, right view, is it, is it not connected with right intention? 
they are connected in that when, when I say right view or right understanding, it's the same word. It's the same word. It's meaning diti. And and what that and sometimes it's translated as view and sometimes understanding yeah. and I like both so I'm using both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. I both too. Okay. And then the second noble truth, which I'll talk. Excuse me. The second uh, link of the path that I'll talk about next week is right intention, and the two of them, right view and right intention, are the wisdom basket together okay. okay so so right view is what conditions our intention mm. of course yes right okay That's true. because I was thinking uh, uh, no matter how much I understand something our nature as human is is action right to act to act but if I don't act with right intention right uh, I might hurt myself, I might hurt others. Right, so if we... Yeah, yeah so you can give the talk next week. That <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 was good. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, no, great. And well, it's good that you're bringing this up right now, because really, because right view leads to right intention. How we understand things conditions how we act and what we believe will be helpful or what we want to happen. <coughs> sure, thank you. So let's just sit for a moment before we end. Taking a moment to appreciate our good fortune that we have the time and place and conditions to come together and study the Dharma, study the Eightfold Path, and the good fortune or blessings that we have. May they go in every direction and touch beings and every realm and every world. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, free from dukkha, from stress, free from misunderstanding what's true. May all beings, may we all together awaken. May we discover reality, our true nature, our Buddha nature. May all beings be free.
Thank you, everybody. Good to be with you. I'll see you next week, uh, and we'll talk about right intention. And please remember, if you have a few moments and can help us, uh, you know, reset the room, uh, we appreciate your help. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.